It's good to see. I'm glad you're here. How many of you brought your Bible tonight? Will you hold up the Bible all over the building? I want to ask you, if you will, to join me in the book of Hebrews tonight, chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, just a verse, and more or less just read the verse, just to kind of dive off into another subject here. Hebrews chapter 4, page number 1294, if you have an old Schofield Bible. I'll read a very familiar verse, and then I'll ask you, if you will, just to leave your Bibles open. And we're going to kind of work through some more of these words that we've been working through on these Sunday evenings. And my plans are to eventually move this uh, to a Wednesday night, and we'll do that probably in the next couple of weeks and jump on something else on Sunday night. But we're going to do this again tonight, talking about great words in the Bible that every child of God ought to know. And uh, so if you'll leave your Bibles open and just listen patiently, uh, we'll be uh, through with this here in just a moment. Hebrews chapter 4. Don't forget Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. Hope you'll be here for that. I don't think we're doing Master's Club this Wednesday night. Is that right? We take a couple of weeks off right here around Christmas. So we'll just all meet here in the auditorium on a Wednesday night at 7. We'll have some of our preachers to preach for us and to us and at us and have a good time as we do all that together as we conclude this year and hopefully, Lord willing, welcome a brand new year. Hebrews chapter 4. If you're there, would you say amen? One verse. Look at verse 12. For the word of God, for the word of God is quick. Boy, that is, that is good. The word of God is quick, powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of sunder, asunder of soul and spirit. And this, and this word is so sharp that it not, just, it not just makes a distinction between the soul and the spirit, but even it's so sharp, it, it cuts down between the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Thank God for the Bible, the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, bless your Word now tonight. We give honor to it. It is the Word of God, your inspired Word. Thank you for the Bible. I pray tonight that you would teach us something from God's Word and help us as we live out these last days. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, if you think back to probably two or three weeks ago, you may recall that I began a brand new series of sermons that I entitled Bible Words That Every Child of God Should Know. And it's a series of messages that are based upon just great words of the Bible. Now, of course, around here, I think we know, we believe around here that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. That is, we believe that the Bible, the Word of God, is completely reliable. It is absolutely without error and has all authority in our lives and in our church as well. God breathed this book. This is God's Word. God may have used men to write the Bible, but God inspired and moved those men as they wrote literally the Word and the words of God. Indeed, God's Word is the greatest gift outside of the Lord Jesus to all of, the, all of humanity. But we also believe the Bible is not just the inspired Word of God, but we also believe it's the living Word of God. That's the reason in verse number 12, when we read the Word of God is quick, that word quick simply means alive. It's the living Word of God. That word quick is where we actually get our English word zoology from. And uh, zoology is the study of life. And the Bible is alive. It is a living book. It pulsates with life. You know, when you read the Bible, the Word of God, it frowns on us when we do wrong. I mean, you can't read much of the Bible if you're not doing right without it getting after you just a little bit. 
little bit. This Bible frowns on us uh, when we do wrong. Uh, this Bible smiles on us when we do right. And as we read the Bible, it speaks to us as we listen. It's alive. It calms us when we're troubled. It uh, heals us when we're hurt. It cheers us when we're down. It cleanses us when we're dirty. It is a living, a living book. Can I say this? We believe that the books of the Bible are alive. In the 16th century, there was a monk by the name of Martin Luther. Oh, Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther was a very religious man. But down on the inside, there was an emptiness, a void that he just couldn't fill. He tried filling with all the rituals and the ceremonies of the church, trying to find something to bring satisfaction to his soul. But somebody gave him a copy of the Word of God in the book of Romans, and he began to read the book of Romans, and old Martin Luther got gloriously saved. You know why? The books of the Bible are alive. We believe the chapters of the Bible are alive. The old ruler, Augustine, a very wicked and ungodly man, but he had a godly mother by the name of Monica who prayed earnestly for her boy to be saved. Well, oh, one day, old wicked Augustine picked up a Bible and began to read from the 13th chapter of the book of Romans, and he read this verse where it says, but put ye on the Lord Jesus and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. And when he read that verse, the word of God cut him so much that he fell on his knees and he was gloriously saved by the grace of God. We believe the books of the Bible are alive. We believe the chapters of the Bible are alive. We also believe the verses of the Bible are alive. Uh, you remember a man, we, we mention him sometimes around here. His name is Charles Haddon Spurgeon. At the age of 13, he walked to church uh, and he went to church in a primitive Methodist church on a snowy Sunday morning in England. It had so, snowed so so much that Sunday morning that the preacher of the church was unable to attend. So a layman got up with just a small handful of people there that day and he read only one verse. Isaiah 45, 22, Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and beside me there is none other. That little backward layman looked at that little boy sitting in that church pew that morning and he said, Young man, look to Jesus. And old Charles Spurgeon did and he was saved by the grace of God. We believe the verses of the Bible are alive. But then we believe the words of the Bible are alive. Old Charles Colson of Watergate fame was witnessed to by a co-worker that he worked around there in Washington. And his co-worker said these words to Charles Colson, trust in the Lord. And those words begin to ring in that man's heart, trust in the Lord. He said he's gotten his car and headed home that night that those words like church bells was ringing in his soul, trust in the Lord. And he began to weep so copiously that he pulled his side over on the side of a busy Washington, D.C. highway and gave his heart to Jesus. You know why? The words of the Bible are alive. This is a living book, friend. It's a powerful book. It'll do its work. If you'll just preach it and tell it and share it, the Word of God will get the job done. It is a living, a living book. 
Well, you know, we're not talking about the, uh, the books of the Bible. We're not even talking about the chapters of the Bible. We're not even focusing on the verses of the Bible. We're working through the words of the Bible. Great Bible words that every child of God should know. Now, we're working through our English alphabet. So two or three weeks ago, we began with the letter A. And I told you some great Bible words that all of us ought to be familiar with that begin with the letter A are words like this, altar, altar. Hey, thank y'all for coming to the altar tonight. Aren't you glad we got some steps now? It's easier to push up on, and you can't use the excuse, well, if I get down, I can't get up no more. Because we got steps now. You can kind of press down on. Hey, don't be afraid of using the altar. The altar is a place where God meets with man, and the altar is the place where man meets with God. Altar, atonement, accepted, angels, ark, appearing, abiding, accepted, accepted, and amen. All great words that begin with the letter A. Then last time we moved to the letter B and we looked at some great Bible words that begin with the letter B. What about this one? Blood. Thank God for the blood. What about this one? Born again. Hey, what about baptism? What about the body? Hey, what about brethren? Thank God for the great B words in our Bible. But now tonight we move to the letter C. Now again, there's so many, there's no way I could cover them all. Here's just some that I'm not going to mention tonight except just in passing. What about this one? The word created or the word creation. Boy, I'll tell you, if you don't believe Genesis 1-1, you'll never make it through the rest of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What about that great verse over in Colossians that said all things were made by him and through him all things exist. Hey, I'm telling you, Jesus, God, the Holy Ghost were the creators of this world that we live on, the word creation. What about the word commandments? Thank God for the commandments of the Bible. God commanding stuff of his people. What about the word Christ? You know, Jesus really has three words or three names. There's the Lord, Jesus Christ. Let me tell you this. Jesus, that's his human name. Lord, that's his heavenly name. But then the word Christ means anointed or Messiah or sent one. That's his holy name. The word Christ. What about this word? Communion. Boy, that's an important Bible word. You know something? The Christian life begins with a union. It continues in communion and it's going to end in a reunion. Amen. Thank God for communion. I got in. I came into union with Christ. When I was born again, I got into a union. We're one. I'm in the family now. And thank God I'm looking forward to a reunion someday. But until those two points, I'm to continue in communion with Christ. Great Bible word. But now here's the ones I picked out. Word number one is the word cross or the word Crucify. I'm, I'm using those words, if you don't mind. I'm using those words kind of interchangeably because they both stand for the same thing. The word cross is found some 28 times in the Bible, and the word crucify or crucified is used some 54 times in the Bible. Now, if there's one word that every child of God ought to be familiar with, it ought to be the word cross. 
the word cross. Now, we know the Roman cross that Jesus was crucified upon actually consisted of two pieces of wood. There was that, that, uh, that uh, vert vertical piece of wood known as the strout, uh, the strauss. And then there was that, that horizontal piece of wood known as the patabulum. But you and I understand that what makes the cross so special to us is not the wood or the shape of it, but it's the one that was on the cross. That's why we cherish the cross so much. In our day, the cross has become an emblem, an emblem to us. Just as the six-sided star of David represents the religion of Judaism, just as the crescent moon and the star is the emblem for Islam, the old rugged cross is the emblem for Christianity. But we know that it's more than just an emblem. It's more than something that's just wore around your neck. It's more than something that's just a fixture or a feature in a church somewhere. The cross is the place where the Son of God, the Son of God voluntarily, violently, and vicariously, and may I even say victoriously, laid down his life on the cross for you and for me. It was there on the cross where God revealed his anger and his fury for sin. All the while there at the cross, God demonstrated his great love for sinners just like you and just like me. Amen. Thank God for the cross. On the cross, Jesus became our sin. Though he had never sinned, he became our sin. And then God stepped back and punished his own son on the cross for our sin. And there on the cross, Jesus made the once and for all payment, the once and for all sacrifice, paid in full our sin debt. And all we've got to do is accept the payment that he made by faith and we can be a part of the family of God. That's why we sing about the cross. That's why we lift up the cross. That's why we point people to the cross. That's why we love the cross. Thank God for the cross. Thank God for the crucifixion of the Son of God. Cross is an important word for every child of God to know. But now let me move to a second one. And I'm going to scare you on this one just a little bit. But there's the word conviction. Now, i got to tell you something. This is a great, a great word. In fact, it's a word that we use a whole lot around here. I ask you to pray for conviction in our services. And I hope you do. Before you come to church, I pray. I hope you pray. Join with me and pray. Oh, God, convict the sinners. God, let the service be, let the service be full of conviction. But can I tell you something? The word conviction... It's not even found in the Bible. You know something? This amazed me because I talk about it all the time. I say stuff like it. Conviction's not a bad thing. Conviction's a good thing. But you know the word conviction is really not even in the Bible. The closest thing that we come to in the Bible to the word conviction is this verse right here in the Gospel of John, chapter 8 and verse number 9. The Bible said, and they which heard it being convicted. So that's the only time the word appears in the Bible, any form of it. They were convicted by their own conscience. Now, how in the world can I say then that's a great Bible word when the word doesn't even appear in the Bible? Well, let me tell you this. Maybe we don't have the word conviction in the Bible, but let me tell you what we do have in the Bible. We have the word reprove or the word reproved in the Bible. 
In fact, let me read you some verses where that word appears. Look at these verses here. The Bible said, and when he has come, this is Jesus talking, and the he that he's speaking about there is the Holy Spirit. So Jesus said, and when the Holy Spirit has come, he will, what's the next word? That's the same word for our word convict. He will reprove, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. It goes on to say this, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, and of judgment because the prince of this world is does the word reproved. In other words, it's, it's a good word uh, as we understand it. The Holy Spirit is here in this world 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. Now, we understand that when Jesus resurrected from the grave, he'd been dead for three days. 72 hours, Jesus was in that tomb. 72 hours later, after his death, he walked out of that tomb. The Bible tells us then that Jesus stayed on this earth for 40 more days. And then 40 days after his resurrection, he ascended, he ascended back to heaven. 10 days after that, or on the day of Pentecost, the word means 50, 10 days after his ascension, the Holy Spirit came into this world, and the Holy Spirit is still in this world to this very day, and the Holy Spirit came to this world to, number one, glorify Jesus, to encourage the believers, and to convict the sinner to reprove, to reprove, to rebuke the sinners. Let me give you some good words of what con, uh, uh, def definitions of the word conviction. Uh, just so we're all on the same page, some definitions of the word conviction are this. To bring to realization one's guilt before God. Or here's another definition. Be made sorry for how sorry you are. <laughs> that's a good, that's, that's, that's what the Holy Spirit came into the world to do. To bring us to a realization of our sinfulness before a holy God to make us aware of that and then to help us to see our need for the Savior. That's what Holy Spirit conviction is. That's why I ask you to pray, oh God, can bring conviction in the service. God reproves sinners. Help them to understand and realize what a sinner they are and how much they need of the Savior. That's conviction. Now let me show you some verses. Look at this. On the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. On the day of Pentecost, Peter had preached. Oh, my soul, he had preached. And then he said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. That's not the verse, but there's a verse that said this, maybe verse 37. It said, When Peter had preached, they were pricked, they were cut in their heart. You know what that is? That's Bible conviction. Amen. Bible conviction is when men are cut in their heart. There's another verse that goes along with that in the book of Acts. The Bible said when Stephen had preached, when they heard these things, there it is again, they were cut. They were cut to their heart and they, and they gnashed on him. They, were, they got so convicted, their conviction turned to anger and they ran upon the man of God and stoned him with stones. Here's another verse. Look at this one. Same, kind of along the same lines. The Bible said this, for God, watch this right here, for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. You know, let me, you know what that verse is simply saying? That verse is saying this right here, that you'll never be sorry, but you were sorry for how sorry you really was. You know what that is? That's conviction. That's what we so desperately are lacking in these days. 
I mean, it seems like anymore that there's not, a, there's not, enough, uh, uh, there's not enough conviction to, to get people under conviction that brings them to their, uh, to their senses, to the realization of how sinful that they are and the, their need for a Savior. Listen, our services need to be services of conviction. Holy Spirit conviction. You can't get saved unless you're, you're, you're confronted and convicted over the fact that you're a sinner. You're not going to go looking to a doctor till you understand how sick you are. You're not going to go looking for a Savior till you understand how sinful you are. And only the Holy Spirit can make us aware of our sinfulness before God. It bothers me when lost people come to our services and enjoy them. That bothers me. When people come up to me and they're lost and the preacher just want to tell me, I enjoyed the service today. I want to look at them and say, I'm so sorry. Our services are not designed for your enjoyment. You know, the only people that really should enjoy the services of the house of God are God's people. I mean, when sinners come in, and, and I know we're living in a world today where churches are seeking to be, what do they call it, seeker-friendly, and they want people to come to church and not feel uncomfortable and feel at ease, so they bring in the lights, and they bring in the music, and they dress down, and, they, and it's more like a rap session, drink your coffee, eat your donuts while you're listening to preaching, and we're trying to numb it down. Friend, I ain't trying to numb it down. I'm trying to drum it up, man. We need conviction. You won't get saved unless you get convicted about your sin. I, I don't want them to come over here and enjoy it. Hey, can I tell you something? If you took me to a beer joint tonight and dropped me off and, and I had to go in there and sit down, I don't think I'd enjoy it. I tell you what, I don't think after I sat there a couple hours, I'd go up to the bartender and say, I just want to tell you how much I enjoyed sitting in here tonight. It was such a blessing to see all this throwing up and vomiting and cussing and cutting and fighting and, and uh, all that music. I'm telling this man running around with this man's wife and this and dancing with that one. I, I just want to tell you, I have really enjoyed this tonight. I wouldn't enjoy that. You know why? That ain't my crowd. That ain't my atmosphere. That ain't my environment. I got saved out of that, all, away from all that stuff. And I'm just here to say tonight, when lost people come over here, they ought to feel convicted by the power of God. They ought to be cut in their heart. I mean, it's like uh, when they leave, they ought to feel like somebody just stabbed them in their heart. And ladies and gentlemen, it's not a preacher, but it's the Word of God and the Spirit of God that uses the Word of God to cut people in their heart and to convict them. Thank God I got under conviction one day. I'm glad the Spirit of God reproved me I'm glad the Spirit of God made me sorry. And I've never been sorry that I was sorry for how sorry I was. Thank God. How many of y'all with me on that conviction? Thank God for conviction. Pray for that when you come to church here. Pray for conviction. Pray the Spirit of God will move in such a manner. I like it when the mascara begins to run. Them ladies come in there like green stuff, look like they're, and, it start, and they start crying. It's running down their face like a gallbladder busted, and the green stuff running out their eyes. Thank God for that. That's conviction. And we are missing that in these days. How many of y'all remember those days when people would come and weep in church because they were lost? When's the last time we saw conviction? That's a good Bible word, and we need conviction in these days. So there's the word cross. There's the word conviction. How could I mention a sermon like this without talking about the word church? That's a great C word 
in the Bible. The word church is mentioned 125 times in the Bible, all of them in the New Testament. The church is a New Testament idea. The church was born on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came into this world and those disciples that had been shut up in that upper room because they were scared to death and the Spirit of God came and filled them boys with the power of God and boldness and they left that upper room, got down in the streets on the day of Pentecost. All those people gathered in Rome from all over the world to celebrate that feast and they started preaching and people got cut, they got stabbed, they got convicted in their heart and they said, what do we need to do? And Peter pointed them to Jesus. They got saved. And guess what? The church was born. On the day of Pentecost, the church was born. Now, when we think about the church, we think of it in terms of literal and local. Now, what do I mean? Well, the literal church. Everybody that's saved, washed in the blood of Jesus, and dwelt by the Holy Ghost, born again, is in the church of Jesus Christ. Every saved person, every born-again believer, every blood-washed child of God, every Holy Spirit-indwelt person is a part of the church of God, the literal church of God. Peter preached that day, 3,000 folks got saved. The church was born, the literal church of God. Everybody that's saved is a part of the global or literal, however you want to say it, church, regardless of their race, regardless of their nationality. When we got saved, we got into the body of Christ and came up, became a part of the church. But there's also a local church. Now, the literal church is the church that everybody saved is a part of, the, the, the body of Christ. But thank God for the local church. Churches just like Woodland that have been established in an area where believers and followers of Jesus, just like you and me, can come and be encouraged and be edified and be instructed and informed and be prayed for and preached to that we might go out and live in the world that we're living in. Hey, it's God's plan and God's will for every believer to be a member of a local church. God don't have hermit Christians. God didn't save anybody to say, okay, now you just bounce around from here to there and everywhere. It's okay with me. Just go wherever you want to go. And, uh, but I think God wants every person that is saved who is in the literal church to become a part of the local church and get in that church and make their lives count for God's glory. Can I have an amen? You say, why do I need a church family for? Why do I need a church home? What about this? You need a church home for identity. You know how I know these fellas are in law enforcement. They got that uniform on. They're carrying a gun. They got that spray and that stick. You mess up, they'll beat the fire out of you, spray you down with that stuff. I know they're law enforcement because they got that uniform on. When I go to the hospital in the morning, I, I can tell exactly who them doctors are over there. You know why? They're dressed like doctors. I know who the nurses are. They identify themselves by what they wear. And can I tell you, if I saw somebody in here tonight with a military uniform on, David back there in the Marines or whoever, maybe in here with a military, I'd say, man, they're in the, they're in the Marines, they're in the military. I could tell their identity by what they wear. Can I tell you something? You hear me and hear me well. I identify with Christ and the church because I'm a member over here. 
That's how I identify. I identify with the Lord Jesus. I want this world to know whose side I'm on. And when I come to church over here, what I'm saying to my neighbors is, those around me, and there's a, I don't pass anybody. I, I pass two houses before I cross the bridge. There's a trailer and a house right before I cross the bridge. A lot of times those people, especially sometimes, are out in the yard on Sunday night, and I can just imagine them saying probably something like this, there goes the preacher, must be church time. You know what I'm doing? I'm letting them know, bless God, whose side I'm on. I'm on the side of Jesus. I'm on the side of God. I'm on the side of the Holy Spirit. I believe the Bible's important. I believe worship is important. I believe assembling together in the house of God. I, I joined the church to identify with Christ. What about this? I need a church not only for identity. I need a church for maturity. This is a place where I come and my faith gets fed. God wants my inward man, my spiritual man on the inside to be fortified. God wants my faith to be fortified, not fickle, not flimsy. God wants my faith to be fortified. Where can I go and get some faith food, some soul food for my soul that will help me when I go out here and get in a fight with the devil this week? Where am I going to go and get that soul food at? I'll tell you, we're at the house of God. I need it for maturity. I need it for ministry. I need it for accountability. I need a place. If I wasn't here tonight, probably some of y'all would probably call and say, Preacher, somebody said you were fishing tonight. Is that true? I mean, you'd call me and check up on me, wouldn't you? Probably. Okay, maybe you wouldn't. Maybe you don't even care. Maybe I'll go fishing next Sunday night. I don't know. But I need a place where somebody's going to hold me accountable. You say, but you're the preacher. All the more, all the more important. I need a place where somebody's going to hold me responsible. See, if I'm just bouncing around from place to place and I don't really drive down stakes anywhere, I mean, I, I never will forget several years ago, a man walked in the office. He was so mad he's dead now. I preached his funeral. But, uh, and it's probably why he died. But anyway, that's beside the point. No, I'm kidding. But he come in and got mad at me and he said, I ain't coming back to this church no more. I said, really, why? He said, I was in the hospital. I laid over there for six days and not you, not anybody called me, didn't come by to see me. I didn't get so much as a flower from this church. And I was so kind about it. And I said, I'm so sorry I've let you down. But here's what I was thinking. You know something? You miss church so much. I can't tell when you're sick and you're just being lazy and sitting at home in the lazy boy. And you want to come in here and blow up at me, but you've established a pattern and tendencies in your life that I don't know when you're just laying out, fishing, mowing the yard, sitting under a shade tree with your Bermuda shorts on, sipping Kool-Aid. I don't know when you're, when you're not just laying out than when you're, when you're at church. So I wanted to say, don't blame me, sucker. It's your fault that I didn't know you were over there. Can I have an amen? I need a place where I'm held responsible. Where somebody's going to call if I miss and say, where's you at? I mean, we all need that, don't we, in these days? Church. So we got, we got cross. We got conviction. We got church. What about this one? Christian. Christian. Only, only, the word only appears three times in the whole Bible. The disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Christian. You know what that means? Christ with the suffix I-A-N, simply means this, little Christ or belonging to Christ. I heard about this boy one time. He was in his daddy's Sunday school class, and his daddy was teaching about Christians. And he said something to the effect, he said, why do you think people who, uh, who know me, why do you think they call me a Christian? And uh, nobody said anything. 
So he backed up and said it again. Why do people call me a Christian? And this little boy raised his hand. He said, okay, well, you're a good one. Yeah, why do they call me Christian? He said, probably because they don't know you. <laughs> do people that know you know that you know him? Christians. I mean, identifying with Christ. I mean, this stuff of cussing during the week and trying to run over here at church and seeing how much you love Jesus. I'm telling you, that's setting a double standard. No wonder people are going to hell. You me tell you why so many people are going to hell? Because there's so many people going to heaven. I mean, we act like one thing over here. We run out in the world and, and, and we're something completely and totally opposite. I'm telling you, buddy, it's time we ought to walk different, talk different, live different. If we name the name of Christ, if we're a Christian, we ought to act like we are. The name Christian. And then I'm done. Watch this. The last C. The C of confession. Now, confession, confess, carries with it both a public and a private aspect. Publicly, we confess Christ when we get saved. Jesus said uh, in, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32, about, hey, confessing him before men. And if we confess him before men, he confesses us before the Father and the holy angels in heaven. Don't deny him. Don't, 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 don't say you don't know him. We confess him publicly. When you get saved, what do you do? Walk down an aisle. You get in the baptistry. What are you doing? You're confessing Christ publicly. That's the way it's supposed to happen. A public confession of your faith in Christ. But then there's a private confession. What does that mean? Well, when we sin, we confess privately to God. Now, of course, if that sin gets out, if we sin and that sin becomes public knowledge, then we have to come publicly and confess that. We won't see that in church much anymore. But when somebody messes up and that's public knowledge about that sin, then they have to come before the church and confess to the church. Maybe not go into the dirty details of what's happened, but seek the church's forgiveness because that, that circle's kind of swollen up just a little bit. We had somebody not so awful long ago that got messed up in sin. And so they called me. I went to their house and I sat down and I said, well, I said, uh, you're going to have to come before the church and apologize. And I'd be honest with you, I was glad to get out of there alive. They were mad at me. But I mean, that stuff was plastered everywhere. It was in the papers. It was on TV. I thought, man, don't be mad at me. You did it. You're mad at me because I'm telling you, come before the church and make it right. But I'll tell you what, bless God, if we drag a few more up here and get them to confess and make it right, it might, it might hinder a little bit from going in that direction sitting in the pew. What is that good verse? Let me quote it and I'm done. Them that sin rebuke before all that others may fear. Can I have an amen? <laughs> Confession. Hey, when we sin, we confess that sin to God, seek his forgiveness. And by the way, man, don't let it go on forever. When you sin right then and there, go ahead and confess it right then and there. Don't wait, well, I'll do that tonight before I go to bed. No, sir, don't do that. Don't keep a short list, uh, keep a short record of account of your sin and confess your sin to God so you can stay right with the Lord. Some great C words in the Bible. Say them with me. Number one, cross. Number two. Number three, number four, number five, number six, tithing. Yes, sir, you got them all down. That's it right there. Great C words in the Bible.
Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, thank you for our Bible.